head over to Eddie and the Star Cruisers on Facebook. We're a collective of independent creators with the perfect gifts for the holidays. We have movies, music, comics, art, podcasts, wrestling, and crafts. This holiday season, head to Eddie and the Star Cruisers on Facebook, where the perfect gift can be found for just about anybody. is a warning to all living mortals that on the 13th of December, Moose will release 13 of the most terrifying interviews of horror unto the world. Happy Thanksgiving, Horror Hounds. It's your holiday horror host here, Moose. And sorry to say, there's no new episode this month. So take this time and head over to electronicmediacollective.com and catch up on all of our old episodes of Moose's Monster Mash. But come back on December 13th for the start of Moose's 13 horrifying days of Christmas. That's right, 13 brand new episodes in the month of December leading up to our season two premiere. And until then, Horror Hounds, mash on. Cowabunga dudes! Michelangelo here from the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the original. Thank you very much. And I'm Townsend Coleman, the voice of Michelangelo, telling you that you are listening to Bullspit with Moose. Hey, Paul, look over there at the size of that moose. Son, that's no moose. That there is a pile of bulls. Okay, we need to make a couple quick adjustments here, here, and here, and you know what? Yeah, I think that's better. Away we go. Welcome, Moose, back to an all-new shell-raising episode of Bullspit with Moose. I'm your host, Moose. For this episode, I did the impossible. I found Waldo. Turns out, he's been partying it out with the Tick and Michelangelo, the original party dude. And here to tell us more about that, let's welcome Mr. Townsend Coleman. Well, 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 hello, everybody. How you doing, uh, Mr. Bull Spit or Moose? Or what is your name again? <laughs> How you doing, man? Oh, I'm doing pretty good. How you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you very much for having me over to play here. Oh, it's my absolute pleasure. How's life treating you? Yeah, well, you know what? I'll tell you, Paul. I am one of the lucky ones in that I work from home anyway. You know, I mean, I've been working from home for years for all my uh, promo and commercial stuff. And really, the only reason I uh, go into studios anymore is uh, when I do the occasional animated episode of some show, not on any shows currently. I'm basically not going into studios. I'm basically holed up in my house daily doing my sessions from here. So when this whole thing hit, it wasn't really that radical a change for me just in the way I work. However, uh, I have spent a lot of time over the last couple of months just helping folks, VO folks, you know, get their uh, home studios ready to be able to uh, not only audition uh, from their houses, but be able to um, do sessions remotely from their homes. And uh, so I've been busy doing that and stuff. But uh, but I'm, you know, I'm uh, doing okay, hanging in there. Thanks very much. It's funny. I 
I was reading your bios and things, and it says you started out as a DJ. You still have that tonal quality in your voice of the, uh, and you're listening to, you know, such and such radio. And now. 555 in the big city with, <laughs> there you go, at WGCL G98 Cleveland. Yeah, well, those were the days. So how did this career uh, snowball from <laughs> DJ to, you know, Turtle? Yeah, right. Well, uh, snowball indeed, man. Um, yeah, I mean, for me, it was uh, it was a matter of um, I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio. Had wanted to be on the radio ever since I was a tyke. My dad used to be on the radio when he was uh, when he was younger, when I was very small. And so I think I just sort of had it in my blood. And when I was in high school, went down and visited a couple of the radio stations in Cleveland. And ended up getting a gig answering request lines at night for one of the uh, progressive uh, radio stations there in Cleveland uh, back in probably 1970, 71, something like that. But that just lit my fuse because once I got uh, set foot inside a radio station, I you know saw the DJ on the air and stuff. I was just hooked. And so it was something that I really wanted to do. And as it turned out, when I was, let me see, like 20 or something, my brother-in-law at the time was getting fired from a radio station in Cleveland and told me that they were going to be uh, hiring inexperienced people cheap with this new format they had going. And so I went down, applied for a job, and uh, like the idiots they were, they hired me. And that's what got me in. That's what got me into radio. And then I ended up sort of parlaying that from kind of one station to another over the course of ten years and worked at five different radio stations in Cleveland during that decade. But it was during that time that I also was doing a lot of theater. I'd been doing theater since I was a kid as well. And I discovered voiceover uh, because I started doing, um, I, I was the production director at a couple of the radio stations I worked at. And that meant that I had to record all the local radio spots. And so that's where I discovered uh, not just uh, voicing spots for the radio station, but doing it freelance outside the radio station for advertising agencies in Cleveland uh, who would pay me um, actual extra money uh, for it besides my radio salary, which didn't pay me extra money for doing all those radio spots I did for them. So that's what got me into voiceover and uh, ended up doing that for about uh, six or seven, eight years in Cleveland before I finally decided to get out of radio and just do voiceover uh, in Cleveland. And then as fate would have it, the house we were renting uh, ended up getting sold. We had to make a physical move. And so I thought, you know, I've just turned 30 years old. I'm not in radio anymore. And if I got to pack my family up and my, my, my this whole household and uh, get my kids in school someplace, I got to be I got to be settled someplace, you know, in a couple of months. And so I thought, you know, if if I'm going to go to all this trouble, I'm not just going to move across town. I'm going to I'm going to move across country because I'd always wanted to go to either New York or L.A. I flipped a coin, chose L.A. and <laughs> ended up uh, move coming out here to look for a place to live. Uh, found a little place to rent. And like two and a half weeks after that, uh, we we're living here. Uh, that whole process was about. Uh, three months from the time I quit my job at the radio station in uh, June of 1984 to uh, late August, uh, early September, Labor Day weekend of 1984 is when I ended up 
uh, driving cross country and moving the family out here. And the whole family survived that trip? Yeah, everybody survived. Actually, I had a buddy of mine drive uh, out with me to help me drive my car and some stuff. But uh, the rest of my, my wife and my three kids at the time were staying with her folks until I got things kind of squared away in L.A., and uh, they flew out in time to for the kids to start school, and boom, 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 there we go. And uh, so I really came out here to be an on-camera actor. I didn't come out here to do vo- uh, voiceovers. I knew I could do some voiceover stuff probably to kind of help make ends meet while I was trying to get my my movie and TV career off the ground. But then again, as luck would have it, I got an audition about six months after I moved here for a cartoon series called Inspector Gadget. And I had never thought about doing cartoons before, but I went on this audition, uh, had a blast, and it it you know wasn't very foreign to me, only because you know I'd spent so many years on the radio and doing characters on the radio for my morning shows and stuff, that it was a matter of uh, the casting director showing me a picture of the character with some sample lines on this page, and I thought, oh, I know what that guy sounds like. You know, and so I just, I, you know, I just did, you know, what would uh, seem to come naturally for me if I were on the radio, for instance, doing that character. And uh, she loved what I was doing. And we worked on it for about 10, 15 minutes. And uh, next thing I knew is a couple of days later, I was booked for my very first cartoon uh, session uh, for Inspector Gadget. And before I knew it, I was off and running. I mean, that I had so much fun doing that cartoon session uh, that I asked my agent to, you know, please send me out on more of those kinds of auditions. And they did. And I ended up getting in over to Hanna-Barbera back in those days and, and started uh, started booking series and uh, getting to know the lay of the land and how it worked out here. And I just had a blast. So that's how I kind of ended up falling into cartoons. Just think your career started as a uh, sidekick, and you uh, ended up a headliner. Yeah, the yeah, essentially, yeah. So yeah. very, very fortunate, very blessed, yeah. Yeah, and Inspector Gadget, you played Corp- Corporal Cape Man was Corporal the Cape was Man the character. Is, yeah, he was uh, Gadget's uh, lovey, lo- 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 uh, not lovey, love loving sidekick. Yeah, right. Well, yeah. So, so there I was, uh, a gadget's uh, sidekick, right? Exactly. And and a goofy character that I, you know, years later came to find out was uh, was not very popular with the fans. <laughs> In fact, I was reading not just like last year sometime. I think I I was reading some stuff online on some website talking about talking about the characters on Inspector Gadget and and my character, Corporal Cape Man. Uh, I I came to find out was was widely hated and reviled. So <laughs> I'm like, wait a minute, you guy, you can't hate my character. That's not fair. But they did. See, I actually liked him. I think people just thought he was he was too goofy and and uh, I, I it seemed it seemed that the the general consensus was that he was just flat out annoying. And I don't know how a voice like this could be annoying. Come on, Inspector Gadget. I'll help you. I'll save you. Oh, thanks, Corporal Cape, man. <laughs> thanks. I appreciate it. And in Transformers, you were the probably most lost Transformers toy of all. And that's Rewind. Did you say the most lost toy? Yeah. What was that? 
Everybody misplaced the audio cassette. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's what I thought you meant. That's right. Where's my cassette? I can't find the cassette for his tummy. Come on. It's like, everybody loves him. And then it's just like, oh, I lost it. Crap. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's one of the it, it's always fun when you do a cartoon and and you, you and your character gets its own action figure is sort of the a sign of having uh, having made it to a certain level <laughs> when you get your own action figure. And, and so I've got most of the action figures for the, the characters that I've done over the years that actually had some sort of action figure or toy or doll or something. But Rewind is is one of the few that I never did get. In fact, I'm not sure I ever even, I don't think I ever even saw one in person. Uh, I've seen pictures of it, but uh, never actually got one. So I got to see if I can get on eBay. And, well, and finding an original is rough. Yeah, to see if I can find myself one. Yeah, I'll bet. Uh, they're, they're, it's probably next to impossible, I would guess. You know, you, you danced around in TV for a while. And then, like I mentioned in the intro, you got to be Waldo. Yeah. How did that come about? Well, again, another cool series I got to be a part of. And it came about almost exactly the same fashion that all the other um, characters I've done uh, came about. And it just simply through an audition that my agent sent me out on. And um, I auditioned for the character, happened to get it, and did it. It was a fairly short-lived on the CBS uh, back in the early 90s. But it was but it was a fun show. And, you know, it's, it's always... Uh, it's always uh, there's something cool about you know being part of something iconic you know I mean Martin Hanford the artist and uh, writer who created uh, the character of Waldo and of course wrote and drew all those amazing Where's Waldo books and and such you know I mean I was a, a character that had been around for quite a while before they did a cartoon series of it so to land that one was was pretty fun. Uh, just because everybody knew, you know, this character. And one of my greatest treasures as well is a hand-drawn Waldo that Martin Hanford did for me and framed up himself. And it's just this little piece of artwork that he sent me as a thank you for uh, that first season of Where's Waldo? So I have that uh, displayed proudly in my house. But yeah, it came about, you know, just like everything uh, else does just through an audition and uh, you know i got lucky so i'm bouncing around a little bit because i want to leave turtles to the last um the tick it it, it, it was different and I, I mean that in a good way it wasn't your standard <laughs> uh like superhero show he was that bumbling hero he was you know he wasn't you didn't go into the episode knowing okay He's going to go in, stop the bad guys, swoop in, save the day. Oh, no. You know, it was, oh, what's he going to mess up today? Yeah, right, exactly. Well, one of the reasons that I, I loved doing The Tick so much is is for that very reason. You know, we'd show up at a session, they'd hand us our scripts, and we'd start, you know, looking through the script. And, I mean, they just were always so wacky and so bizarre and so out there. Uh, it was unlike anything else I had done up to that point in animation, and it was, it was just so crazy good because it was so because it was so, so bizarre, crazy. you know. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, and so that was one when I auditioned for that. Uh, that was a show that I was really hoping I would get on because 
just because the writing was so brilliant and and so hilarious. Um, I remember back when we would go do uh, uh, sessions, recording sessions for the Tick. Um, like I said, we'd show up and they'd hand us our scripts. And typically what we would do is we'd start looking through our scripts and circling our lines and getting a sense of where the episode is going. And then uh, we would, you know, I'll go into the studio and, and uh, you know, sit at our mics and they would do sound checks and then we'd record a pass and then we'd record another pass and sometimes maybe a third, but typically they just do pickups and stuff with that show. I quickly learned that when I showed up at the studio and started looking through my script, what I didn't want to do was read that very last page or two, because at the end of many of those episodes, the tick would go off on these just wacky rants that that I quickly came to discover were some of the funniest stuff I'd ever read or voiced before. And so... I didn't want to know what was coming. It was like I wanted it to be a surprise for me uh, at the recording session. So when I was going through my script and circling my lines, when I would get to the end of the script and, uh, you know, just to that point where the tick was going <laughs> to do his whole, you know, wacky wrap up, I, I wouldn't read it. I didn't want to read it. And and so I would wait until we actually were, you know, at our mics and recording uh, that first pass. And when I got to that last page, what I was recording was actually cold. It was a cold reading for me and, and uh, was the first time I'd actually seen the words was when they were coming out of my mouth that first time. And, and nine times out of 10, those were the takes they ended up keeping because, because there was just something about the way those lines would hit me as I was saying them for the first time, for some reason, just added to the wackiness of it. And and that was my favorite part of of every episode we we recorded is when we get to that that end where the tick would just go off on on that wacky rant. And s speaking of action figures, team 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 team. Not this fun? You face the tick. Team. Oh, gross. Not this fun? You face the tick. Team. I'm trying to get him to say, I am the tick. This is all random on this character. Keen. Come on. Evil is afoot. All right, that's closer. Keen. I am the tick. There you go. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> One of my favorite, you know, we were talking about action figures a moment ago. This is probably my favorite. He's a 16-inch tall talking tick. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I remember recording the lines for this. There are five, like five or six phrases that are in this thing, and you push this little button on his back, and he and he says those things. And all these years later, I haven't changed the battery on this thing, and it's still working. It's crazy. But yeah, I remember recording the phrases for that, and just think, oh, this is going to be cool. There's you know going to be a tick action figure, and uh, I didn't at the time realize it was going to be, you know, such a big one. But of course he has to be. He is the tick. Keen. <laughs> Larger than life. Larger than life, I'll say. You got that right, Moose. Moose. Where did you get a name like Moose? High school. High school, all right. Well, I had to put the tick back in his place, his rightful place. High school. My freshman year of high school, I was in a musical, uh, Crazy for You. All right. And... 
the character I played was Moose. And ah, got it. Okay. I just and it stuck. Yeah, I, I just kept with you know kept it with me, and it it kind of for me it became the like splitting point between okay that's how I differentiate between who I am when I'm doing podcasts or like a, like a public persona as opposed sure. to like my personal around the house like Moose and Paul are two very separate person you know not personalities but like feelings you yeah, know Moose is it. very much outgoing I, I, I am outgoing but I could take it or leave it but yeah I got you you know sitting here behind the mic or at, you know when I'm selling my wood burnings at conventions it's you, you put on the, you know, moose mask, and you're, you're out there, man. You're just, hey, come here. You know, what are you doing? Yeah, it always goes back to it's just a character I play. Yep. And it's, it's fun. It helps keep it, it helps keep sane. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, that's like me. I, you know, I don't know if you do this, but I talk to myself a lot. Like, probably it's an illness. <laughs> I mean, like, way too much. I'm a stay-at-home dad, so it's either I'm talking to my kids or I'm talking to myself. Or when I'm talking to my kids, I am talking to myself. Right. It's like when my kids were little, they, they'd always, you know, remind me again, Dad, you're talking to yourself. Dad, stop it. Dad. You know, I, I do it so subconsciously and don't even realize it half the time. And now, of course, that my kids are all grown and gone, you know, they're not in the house anymore. I, You know, I, I'm... I'll catch myself talking to myself often. We'll sometimes realize, oh, that's actually kind of a, kind of a, a fun voice. You know, maybe there's some some character material in there. You know, so it's like when I teach, I'll often advise, you know, my students to, you know, to learn how to talk to themselves, and um, and just have dialogues with themselves in character. Before we get back into your career, while you're talking about teaching, what do you have in the way of tips for like, when you're trying to figure out a voice, and getting your body like moving different parts of your uh like throat and find you know finding your voice essentially mm -hmm. what do you uh say to people when they're just trying to find a voice oh my gosh well <laughs> well there's you know i mean it, there's so much that goes into it you know i mean first of all it's not just finding a voice it's finding a character because because voice acting is voice acting yeah you know so so it's not just a matter of, you know, finding a silly voice like, you know, a, a corporal cape man. It's it's finding a voice that goes along with the character and his persona, his personality, what he looks like, how it fits into the broader um, picture of the show itself. You know, so there's a lot that goes into it. But it sounds like you're sort of asking about the, the physical aspects of finding a, a, or being able to vocalize a character. Often what I'll do in my classes, I'll I'll have students really learn how to stretch and reach. Uh, and I don't mean physically so much, although it does obviously involve physical aspects of it. For instance, first of all, do whatever you can to be in a situation where you can lose your inhibitions, where you can just go crazy, not worry about being afraid, not worry about being embarrassed, not worry about looking stupid, not worry about sounding like an idiot, where you don't worry about that stuff, but you can give yourself the freedom to be able to just try stuff. And and when I say try stuff, try taking your voice and you know seeing what you can do with it just with the pitch of your voice. See how high you can take your voice 
and and how low you can take your voice and do it in increments. Start with your normal speaking voice and then start seeing how, you know, you can inch it up uh, and how high you can do that. See how you can inch it down and see how low you can go. See how low you can go. And so just play with the pitch, then play with the, the depth of it. Try wacky things with your face, just facial expressions. If you try and talk out of the side of your mouth, all of a sudden it can give you a whole different character. All I'm, I mean, I'm just talking, but now I'm just talking out of the side of my mouth and it gives you, so just little things, throw your voice back in your throat, almost like you're trying to swallow it. You know, it starts to get kind of a, you know, and it's really backfire in your throat like this and you can get it back like that. You know, that's how you start to almost get a Kermit the Frog, um, you know, uh, uh, Kermit the Frog, Ray Romano. Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. Yeah, Ray Romano, you know. Yeah, because that's exactly how Ray talks, you know. It's way back in his, th- you know, it's way back in his throat. Now, I'm not an impressionist by any stretch, so I won't even try. But it's that kind of stuff. Maybe give your voice a a, a little uh, vocal characteristic in terms of, like, let's say a little a little huskiness or, a, a, you know, try and give, you, you give it a little raspiness, like pinching it a little bit uh, like this, almost like you're going to whisper, but it's but you're still vocalizing it. Now, if I did that and then also did it out of the side of my mouth and then maybe gave it a uh, pitched it down just a little bit so that it's going down here like this. So it's got a little raspiness. It's out of the side of my mouth. And it's a little, it's pitched a little lower like this. So now all of a sudden I got myself a different character, you know, maybe throw a little uh, accent in it. And uh, hooey, I got myself a whole different guy. Y- you see, you know, so it's, it's just, it's stuff like that. Giving yourself the freedom to be able to play and combine those various things. It's like, you know, I've, I've often thought of myself as like Mr. Potato Voice. You know, with Mr. Potato Head, how you take a potato and you just plug different plastic pieces onto yeah. it and create a different character. Well, it's a similar idea where you just take your voice, your potato, <laughs> if you will, and you plug different things onto it. You take it to different places, uh, give it a different accent, give it a different pitch, give it a different vocal vocalization, vocal characteristic, you know, like maybe a lisp or something, you know, I mean, there's so many things that you can tack on to this potato you've got naturally and change the characteristic of it completely. But at the, at the center of it all, or, 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 or as the foundation of it all, I should say, uh, is the acting because you can come up with, you know, a really goofy character and a really wacky, fun character voice. But if you can't sustain it, and make it a fully fleshed out being, a character, you know, that has a whole range of uh, uh, emotions and, and experiences. And, you know, this, 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 it's still a living, breathing being, not just a, a crazy voice. You know, if you've got that as the foundation, then, then you're on your way. But if you just come up with a wacky voice but don't know what to do with it, then it's kind of, well, it's a wacky voice that goes nowhere. You're all revved up, no place to go. Yeah, yeah. Adding the extra layers to it makes sense. I mean, just like assembling a music track, you know, you add. Yeah. You 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 know you add your drums and your strings and yeah that that actually makes perfect sense. Yeah, exactly. So you start with the you know your core element, which is just your voice, just the way you speak, and 
there are so many things that you can do with that voice, that instrument that you've got. I, I sometimes think of it uh, as a synthesizer analogy. You know, if you play a synth, you can play one note on this synth, and as you hold it down and just play it with no other settings going, it just, let's say it's a piano, okay? And it just sounds like a piano. But you take some of these knobs and faders on your synthesizer, and as you're holding that note down, you start to monkey with these other knobs and stuff. All of a sudden, you can turn that one note that just sounds like a piano into a million different things with a million different characteristics, depending on which knobs you turn and which faders you push. You know, so it's kind of the same with the voice. You start with this one note, this one instrument that you've got, and then depending on the various, you know, knobs and faders you, you know, mess around with, you can take that voice and do some pretty remarkable things with it. Awesome. So yeah. listeners, pay attention. If you're interested in voice acting, you just got a free lesson. <laughs> there. Oh, oh, what do you mean? You said free? Oh, no, brother. I'm giving you my Venmo. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to cost you. I can give you my left leg. I'm not using there you it. Go. You can use it to beat people who try to escape. So back to the tick. The ticks seem to be the gift that keep on, you know, the, the gag that keeps on giving. Because you were back in the tick as Midnight on the Amazon live action series. Yes, you're right. I was. <laughs> and uh, and uh, what, a, what a great joy that was. Um, you know, after we did the tick in 94... 95, 96, somewhere back in the mid-90s there. Once the series was over after those three seasons, and, of course, we were all bummed that it got canceled, but it didn't seem to make much sense that Fox, back at the time, you know, insisted on keeping the, the tick on Saturday mornings as part of their Fox Kids um, block uh, instead of putting it on in the evening, like somewhere up around The Simpsons. Uh, say because I think that it was much more an adult show than a kids show yeah. per se, and probably um, or maybe likely would have had a little more life uh, had it been, you know, geared toward adults. And especially if it were, you know, uh, placed somewhere, you know, just even in spitting distance of The Simpsons uh, back in those days, it uh, I think you know could have developed a. A larger audience and maybe had you know uh, more longevity but all that to say is we're not rewriting history it, it lasted three three seasons um, but several years ago yeah uh, Ben Edlund the creator of the show and and uh, writer of those first several seasons um, uh, called me and said they were going to be doing this uh, live-action version of it on Amazon Prime and uh, wanted to know if I'd be interested in doing the voice of Midnight the Dog. And, of course, I jumped at it. You know, just anything to just remain a part of the franchise was uh, was great fun and a real privilege for me. So, yeah, so I got a chance to do that uh, for a season. And, uh, unfortunately, the show went two seasons and I didn't get picked up for a third. So I, I was disappointed by that. I know they were disappointed by that, um, greatly so to the to the extent and, and fans as well. I mean, it was a great groundswell of of uh, you know um of uh, support from fr uh just really rabid fans wanting to keep this show going and begging Amazon Prime to 
you know, to keep the show going. Um, but in the end, they chose not to, and and so it's not going anymore. But uh, yeah, but what fun uh, that was to do that again. Money always wins. Well, it has a way of doing that, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, but um, yeah. So who knows? You know, knowing Ben, I mean, he has such a a deep love for this for this character and for this franchise. Uh, and they've gone in some really fascinating directions. I mean, what he did with the with the Amazon show, well, you know, really sort of centering around Arthur um, more more so than the Tick, was was really interesting. And I would love, you know, I I, I wouldn't doubt that you know he'll come up with some other iteration of it in the future. And um, you know, and I'd just love to see what he does with it. You know, it it is one of those characters that is. Really, really true. I, I think, and perhaps I'm a little biased, you know, only because I, you know, got a chance to um, be a part of it for, you know, back there in the beginning. But, uh, but it is one of those characters that I think, and one of those shows, uh, just because of the makeup of of the relationships with these characters and some really truly uh, great um, whacked out characters. I, it's, I think it's a show that that just has really enduring legs. To it, you know, it's it's sort of always going to bubble to the surface somewhere. So I look forward to seeing what Ben uh, is able to do with that down the road at some point. See, I know me and there's a bunch of other fans that would like to see a Tick movie, like Tick takes the big screen. There was a lot of talk about that back when we were doing the series, and I, I mean, I wanted nothing more than to, you know, get a call from my agent saying, "Well, the Tick is they're doing an animated feature of it," and and they want you to reprise your role as as the voice of the tick. Um, I to me that would have been I could, probably could have died and gone to heaven at that point. And there was a lot of talk about them uh, doing a, a a big screen version of it, but it just yeah never never came to pass. And uh, don't know if Ben is still thinking about doing that at some point down the road. But you know I mean even if he did, I, you know there's no guarantees that I'd end up doing the voice of the tick because, uh, you know, Patrick Warburton uh, is, I mean, talk about an iconic uh, voice yeah. and actor. I mean, this, this guy is so great. Maybe they get uh, Pat Warburton to do it, or maybe they get Peter Serafinowicz to do it. You know, the, the he, he did the tick in the Amazon show uh, again, equally great, you know, uh, as uh, Patrick Warburton. So, um, yeah. So, and and if they did a live, uh, if they did a, uh, a, a big screen version of the Tick, would it be animated, or would it be live action? A Tick multiverse. Yeah. Or would it be CGI, uh, or a combination of the two? Who who knows? Um, so I think that that would also you know depend on kind of what direction they go with it. But whether I was involved in it or not, I, I would I would love 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 to see uh, the tick on the big screen oh, yeah. uh, somehow. I, 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 just, I just think I you know just from the from the comments and the people that from the comments that I get and from the people that I meet when I go do comic cons and stuff, it blows my mind. You know now so doing Michelangelo and the Ninja Turtles that that was one thing. You know a decade of doing that and and stuff. So I. And, and the Ninja Turtles, you know, it's still a raging franchise, you know, here, you know, 30 plus years later. So it doesn't surprise me when I meet Ninja Turtles fans at Comic-Cons and stuff. But it does kind of surprise me when I meet 
the number of Tick fans, the number of people that I meet at Comic-Cons who are still such huge Tick fans does kind of surprise me a little because, you know, it, it did have sort of a, a cult you know, following when it was on the air, but I don't think the audience was really that big. Certainly nothing compared to Ninja Turtles, you know, and yet the the fans are as rabid as they ever were, uh, it seems. So, yeah, there's quite a following for it, and I think it would uh, it would please a lot of people if I made it to the big screen. Well, the tick even followed you to your return to Transformers. <laughs> yeah, that's right. With Transformers animated on, yeah, with Sentinel Prime. Sentinel Prime was modeled after the Tick. Yeah, it's exactly right. Yeah, and you know when I when I did that show, initially I I wasn't aware of that. I didn't. I mean, I knew that the the writers and producers of of uh, uh, Transformers animated were Tick fans, um, and I knew that that was largely why they cast me in that. Um, but I didn't realize at first that because I, I hadn't seen a drawing of Sentinel Prime, I didn't realize that they actually modeled the character after the tick, made him blue, made him big, made him a huge chin, um, you know, sort of wrote him as, uh, you, you know, kind of the, the jerk of the franchise, <laughs> uh, if you will. Um, but, yeah, so, yes, you're right. He followed, he followed me to, to Transformers Animated. And it was fun to get to be a part of that franchise again after all those years, after being a part of, uh, you know, Generation 1 back in the mid-80s, to be able to do it again, you know, back in the early 2000s or mid-2000s. And so. I know you got to go soon, but I do have one story I would need to uh, bend your ear on. Yes. Recently, in an interview I did with Barry Gordon, he was telling me about the casting procedure with uh, Turtles. Right. And he had said that they had him and Rob pegged for exactly who they were going to play from the time of casting. It wasn't right. until the first shoot, you know, they were still on the fence about you as Michelangelo and uh, Cam as Leonardo because you guys both did so well in the reads. And then, you know, they had you read for Mikey one more time. What would your Leonardo voice been like? Because that potentially oh, <laughs> could have changed the trajectory, I mean, if you remember, of the Leonardo character forever. Yeah, it could have. Well, I think if, 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 uh, so yes, exactly what you're saying uh, happened. And, and when we got to that first recording session, um, they, the recording, uh, the voice director at the session, uh, said to me, uh, Townsend, why don't you just go ahead and do Michelangelo first? Cam, you do Leonardo first, and then we'll uh, and then we'll do a pass that way, and then we'll switch and do a second pass with you guys switching roles, and then we'll make up our minds which way to go after that. Well, after that first pass uh, with me as Mikey and Cam as Leo, they just he, he he his mind was on other things, and he said that just keep the way. You got it for now. We'll deal with it later. Well, uh, so I did the second pass as Michelangelo, and we just never revisited that issue ever again. I just uh, stayed as Michelangelo, and Cam just stayed as Leonardo, and and then that was that. So I, I don't I don't know what my Leonardo. Oh yes, I do. I here's what my Leonardo would have sounded like. Come on, you guys. I'm the leader, and we gotta. You, you, we've got to think of something. 
we've got to do something fast. No, that's not actually because that's too much like my clients. Now, you know, honestly, uh, I, yeah, Paul, I don't know. I don't know what, you know, he probably would have just been a straight ahead, you know, just, just me being, uh, you know, trying to just be a straight ahead leader. We've got to think of something fast. In fact, would have sounded a lot like Cam. <laughs> Cam has done. <laughs> we've got to, we've got to do something. Come on, you guys. I, yeah. So, couldn't tell you. Well, actually, I could, and I just did. But. Yeah. <laughs> but other than that, you couldn't tell us. <laughs> but other than that, I couldn't tell you. You played not only Michelangelo. Uh huh. But you did. Crying as well. Well, I mean, was no. that later? Or yeah, no. Did you did you say Krang? Yeah, yeah, no. Uh, so here's the deal with that, you know, and it was a really unfortunate situation uh, because in a couple of episodes, yeah, I did the voice of Shredder and I did the voice of Krang and 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 Splinter. Um, actually, those are a couple of different situations. With Splinter, it was because Pete Renaday uh, got very ill and was in the hospital for a while. And so they asked me to to do his voice for those episodes, for which I thought they were going to replace my voice and and have Pete come back in and do it when they when the animation was all completely done. Because you see, in animation, the way the way we do it is we record the voices first. Uh, they've done no animating of picture at all. So then once we record the episode, then they send those tracks, our voice tracks, to the animation house that's going to be animating the the series, and and then those artisans over there they you know listen to the voices and they that's when they do their animation and they actually animate to our voices uh, rather than the other way around, which is what people often think. So I just figured that what they were going to do is they needed me to voice Splinter to be able to animate to it. And then they would have Pete Renaday, the voice of Splinter, uh, come in. And before it went to air, they were going to have him do what they call looping or ADR, where they would replace my voice with his voice, you know, and and get it to air that way. Well, uh, they didn't. And so it ended up going to air that way. And I, I was sort of uncomfortable about that. But during that whole process, a similar thing happened with uh, Pat Fraley when he would go on vacation or uh, James Avery when he was uh, uh, he had just gotten this show called The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. If he was not able to make a recording session and, you know, was shooting Fresh Prince, um, they you know, would have me, uh, you know, dummy in his voice, uh, you know, same with Krang. Um, and in, in those instances, I, I always thought that, that I was just dummying in the voice for the animators to be able to animate to, but that it would then, they would get, you know, Pat back in the studio or James back in the studio or Pete Renaday, you know, and, and actually do the ADR with their voices before it went to air well, that didn't happen, and it ended up going to air with my voice on there. Well, listen, I do a terrible shredder, and I do an even worse crank. Uh, it was ridiculous, and it was it was an embarrassing situation for me because it made it seem like I was 
trying to horn in on, you know, I, just the whole thing was very unsavory back then. And it was unfortunate the way the production company handled all of that. So, but, but then all these years later, you know, you've got, you've got fans, you know, wondering why Townsend Coleman did the voice, you know, wait, he's Michelangelo. Why is he doing Shredder too in a couple of episodes or, or, or Krang or Splinter? And, and that's why, that's how all that happened. And, you know, so it was, a, it was really unfortunate. So when people, you know, come up to me at Comic-Cons, for instance, and say they want me to sh- sign, you know, a Shredder picture. Uh, and I'm like, you know, honestly, I, I would love to, but I'm not Shredder. That was James Avery. And, you know, and so I'd, I'd rather if I could just sign a Michelangelo picture or a Rat King picture or an Usagi Yojimbo picture. I mean, these were voices that I legitimately did on that series. You know, so I don't mind signing those autographs. But, you know, for Krang or Shredder or to sign a Splinter picture, it's like, nah, that just that wasn't really me, even though it was me on a couple of episodes. But, yeah. No. See, Usagi was my favorite, uh, like, guest spot character that ever popped up on the show. Yeah, that was, uh, Usagi was a was a fun one to do. And it was great meeting Stan Sakai, you know, the creator of oh. that character, um, quite apart from the Ninja Turtles, uh, meeting Stan, you know, the originator of that uh, character as well. With that said, you said you don't have too many uh, animated shows coming up. Do you have any other projects uh, coming up that you're working on currently? Well, yeah, you know, I I, uh, I really don't do so much animation anymore. Um, I audition for it occasionally, typically don't book it. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, it's just I'm just a voice actor like every other voice actor out there, you know, still still auditioning for, you know, every gig that I get. And, you know, it's, uh, it, you know, it, it's not like it just is handed to you, you know, when you as you as your career proceeds and you get older and stuff. Um but uh, really, I'll tell you honestly, what what kind of changed uh, my career trajectory uh, in a big way was back in 1993 when, um, again, it was just a, a f- sort of a fluky audition. I became the voice, the comedy voice of NBC as their promo voice back in 1993. And it's a gig uh, they were starting with. Um, it was the very first promo for Must See TV. And I ended up booking this thing and they liked it and kept me for 16 years. And so I voiced all their comedy promos, you know, from Seinfeld, Frasier and Friends, you know, all the way up through 30 Rock and and The Office uh, through 2009. So and then I also voiced the, the, the late night promos for Jay Leno for The Tonight Show every night for that 16 years. So promos became really my career. And after NBC let me go in 2009, then I did a similar thing for the comedy promos for ABC for about five and a half years. Then they let me go, and then I was uh, doing a similar thing for Fox for a year or two, and then they let me go. So so promos has sort of been following me ever since, and it's what I still do daily. I voice the promos for Live with Kelly and Ryan on ABC every morning. Um, and I do all that work from home. I You know, it's my daily gig, and I'm... I'm, you know, just knock on Formica, man. I, I am just really, really lucky, really blessed to be still working in this business after all these years, you know, uh, even at my advanced age. Um, <laughs> so, so yeah, so that's, so that's what I do now. And, 
um, you know, I'm always, you know, auditioning for new gigs and stuff. I'm doing a, ever since this uh, pandemic hit and sports has not been able to, you know, be going live. And so we're not, you know, watching sports on TV the way we used to. Uh, Fox Sports uh, started this um, kind of silly, interesting thing um, with uh, one of their hosts, uh, Chris Myers. Uh, they've got a thing called Fox Sports, the home game, and they're doing sort of a like a 70s home game uh, game show where they get, uh, you know, whether it's uh, 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 pro athletes or pundits or reporters or whatever on and and they get them dueling against each other or, or talking. And so I do the intro. I voice the intro for Fox Sports, the home game uh, for the last uh, couple of months <laughs> as a cheesy 1970s style game show announcer and you know so that's been fun it, you know just sort of anything to break up you know break up the day and and uh to be able to just keep working i love what i do and i love you know create new characters i love create even characters see even for stuff like that i i i view as a character that you know that sort of uh a silly game show announcer um is is i treat it just like a uh i would an animated character so yeah. So, uh, so there's that. So, so that's what I do. That's my daily stuff. And, uh, and I just keep, you know, sticking with it as long as I can. Um, until where can fans keep up to date and find out more about you? Well, uh, you know, I'm not terribly active on social media, really. Uh, Facebook, I'm on Facebook. Um, although I don't post that often, I've sort of um, taken a, a break from Facebook for the last uh, year or two. Uh, largely, um, rarely post. Um, I just got active on Instagram. Well, folks, you know where to find him. You can find me and other great podcasters over at electronicmediacollective.com or on Twitter at the handle Moose Media Inc. Townsend, it's been great chatting with you today. Thanks, brother. I appreciate it. Thanks for, uh, like I say, having me over to play. It's um, It's been a blast, and uh, thanks for being a fan. Oh, you're more than welcome. And yeah, it was fantastic chatting with you. And folks, there's a lot of good podcasts out there, and if you didn't hear it here, it's probably just a load of bull spit. Till next time, take it easy. Ooh-wee, that sure was some bull spit, but I sure had fun. Junior, you need some help. Be sure to tune in next time. Michelangelo here from the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Keep that mask on and stay safe. All right, dude. Who loves you? Michelangelo. All right. Turtle power. Whoa.